Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Today's podcast was recorded yesterday. If you want to listen to my podcasts commercial-free the day that I record them, go to shiftradio.com slash premium. It only costs $5 a month. Today's podcast is sponsored by Indeed. Attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend countless hours looking for candidates with the right skills. Start hiring right now at indeed.com slash Peter. Offer good for a limited time. Terms and conditions apply. Earlier today, the Federal Reserve delivered on market expectations for another 75 basis point rate hike. The Fed funds rate now stands at 4%. But what the Federal Reserve failed to deliver was on the expected softening in the Fed's stance on the future trajectory of interest rate hikes, what I referred to in the title of a previous podcast as a soft pivot. And I believe the Fed was forced into making that pivot because it stood on the precipice of a bond market crash, which was in the process of happening. And I think the only way the Fed was able to stop that slow motion crash from playing out and accelerating was by throwing a bone of the markets and indicating through the Wall Street Journal that there was going to be some type of statement that was going to go along with the rate hike that we got today. That would indicate that maybe there was going to be a pause in the pace, a slowdown in the pace, that the Fed was going to take a step back and reflect and assess and maybe acknowledge the progress that had been made without indicating complete victory, but at least acknowledging that victory was at least in sight and that the Fed could take a more cautious approach going forward to rate hike. Something to that effect was expected. However, nothing even remotely close to that was delivered by Powell. Now, when the markets initially got the news of the 75 basis point hike, it was accompanied by an official statement that created some hope that Powell had, in fact, delivered on what the markets expected. The Dow Jones initially rallied about 400 points. And the reason for the optimism was that the statement read that the committee was going to take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy and the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation. And the idea that many people, myself included, drew from that was that, hey, the Fed was now going to take a step back, acknowledging this lag. Rates have come a long way fast, and we need to take a pause and to see exactly what we've achieved before moving forward. Or maybe we're going to raise rates more slowly than we originally thought, acknowledging the lags that take place. It seemed to me and probably everybody else that that is the direction that Powell was going to go 
in the press conference, but it didn't even wait for the Q&A because as Powell was delivering his prepared remarks at the press conference, but before he went off script and took any questions, he read something that scared the markets and that entire 400-point rally in the Dow disappeared and the Dow went negative. And the words that he spoke that spooked the market were that price stability is essential. And the historic record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy and that we will stay the course until the job is done. Now, the minute those words were spoken, the markets tanked. But as Powell started to field some questions, the markets recovered somewhat, not all the way up to the highs, but the Dow got to up about 200 until Powell started really showing his hand, but he wasn't holding the cards that the market had expected. So I want to go over some of the unexpected bombshells that Powell dropped that the markets were not expecting. One was Powell reiterated the Fed's commitment for positive real interest rates, meaning an interest rate that was higher than the inflation rate. Powell basically said, yeah, that's where we're going. And right now, the Fed funds rate is 4% and the inflation rate is higher than 8%. Now, Powell implied that he believed that we would get to positive real interest rates because of a reduction in the inflation rate. So it wouldn't require interest rates above 8% if inflation came back down to 4%. Well, we could have positive real interest rates at 5%. But what the markets are likely to be afraid of, and if they're not afraid of it now, they will be, is what if inflation doesn't come down? What if it stays high? What if maybe it comes down, but it only comes down to 6%? Well, that means if Powell wants to have positive real interest rates, if inflation is 6%, then we need to go to 7%. And that's a much higher rate of interest than the markets are prepared for or could handle. And so I think the fact that Powell had to acknowledge that ultimately we have to have a positive real interest rate, that is very scary for the markets. Then Powell was asked a question about what he and the FOMC believed was the current underlying inflation rate in the U.S. economy, meaning not the headline rate that we all read about, but beneath the surface, what do you think the rate really is? Because it can't be 8.5 or whatever the CPI is. It must be something lower than that. And so what do you think it is? And Powell's answer was, we don't have a number. Like, we've got no idea. We're clueless as to what the underlying rate of inflation may be. Now, that is a very scary admission by the Fed, because if the Fed is committed to fighting inflation, but it doesn't even know how big the monster that it has to slay is, then how does it know how many rate hikes are going to be necessary? How does he know how high rates have to be in order for there to be a positive real rate of interest if he doesn't even understand what the underlying rate of inflation is. And if he doesn't understand it now, why will he understand it at some point in the future? The Fed has no clue. All it's looking at is the same headline numbers as everybody else. And based on that, the Fed is still way behind the inflation curve and has a long way to go. And that, again, should scare anybody who is counting on the Fed to ease up on its current trajectory of tightening. But then Powell was asked another question about whether or not he believed inflation had become entrenched. 
And I think the interesting part about that answer is that he didn't say no. You would have thought that Powell would have said, no, it's not entrenched yet. We're just going to make sure that it doesn't become entrenched. No, he never really answered the question with a yes or no answer. In fact, what Powell said eventually was that the Fed has no way of knowing when inflation becomes entrenched. That's another scary admission by the Fed, because if it doesn't know, it's just kind of flying blind, and it has to err on the side of caution to make sure that inflation doesn't become entrenched. But again, all of this discussion about entrenched inflation assumes that inflation is a psychological phenomenon. It's not. Inflation doesn't become entrenched because of psychology. It becomes entrenched because of monetary policy. And I think it already is entrenched. And the reason is because of the Fed. The Fed has created so much inflation for so long, it didn't even start with COVID. It didn't even really start with QE. The Fed was creating inflation even before it upped the ante to quantitative easing and then upped it again in the aftermath of COVID. The only time I think you talk about psychology is in the final stages of inflation becoming hyperinflation, where psychological factors then come in and velocity explodes. But we're not even there yet. It's not about psychology. Consumers and businesses aren't causing inflation. Businesses don't cause inflation by raising prices. Workers aren't causing inflation by demanding raises. Workers need raises because of inflation. Companies are raising prices because of inflation. It's got nothing to do with psychology, and it's got everything to do with fiscal and monetary policy. Then, in response to another question, Powell was very forthright in his admission that inflation was a lot higher and had lasted a lot longer than the Fed had anticipated. So again, this is tantamount to saying we got it wrong, we made a mistake, and now we need to correct that mistake by staying tighter for longer or going higher than the markets expect. In fact, Powell reiterated something that he had said in the past, that the risk is doing too little on tightening and not doing too much. Powell further stated that he would prefer to over-tighten rather than under-tighten. Because if the Fed tightened too much, according to Powell, the Fed has the tools to support economic activity if necessary. But if we don't tighten enough and inflation gets out of control, well, then it will become entrenched and then it will be too late. And so the Fed is going to err on being too tight. Again, those are very scary comments, especially if you are expecting the Fed to adopt a softer tone. And by the way, Powell is wrong to think that if they just tighten too much, meaning they tighten so much that the economy really weakens into a severe recession, that the Fed has the tools to prop it back up and stimulate it to support economic activity. It doesn't. Because if the fight against inflation drives the economy into recession, if the Fed then uses those very tools to support the economy, well, then inflation is going to take off and get much worse. You see, if the Fed is really committed to fighting inflation, then those tools are no longer at its disposal. The fact that Powell is so quick to admit that he's going to use those tools if the inflation fight does too much damage to the economy really reveals that the Fed is not as committed to fighting inflation as it maintains or as the markets believe. 
Because as I've said many times, the Fed's commitment to fighting inflation stops if it brings about a severe recession or a financial crisis. Yes, the Fed is willing to tolerate a very mild, shallow recession, but anything greater than that, and the Fed is going to use its tools. And in fact, I think that it's going to use those tools long before inflation gets anywhere near 2%. But even in the extremely unlikely situation where the Fed got inflation back down to 2% because of its tightening, and then with inflation at 2%, the Fed then used those tools to stimulate the economy, anything it had achieved in reducing inflation will be lost and the inflation rate will spike back up again. So even if inflation does go to 2%, the Fed still can't use those tools. But I have never heard Powell acknowledge that if the economy goes into a severe recession or a financial crisis, that it's not going to matter because the Fed is going to continue to tighten and maintain tight monetary policy to make sure inflation not only goes down to 2%, but stays at 2%, no matter the consequences. I don't think Powell will ever speak those words. And I think before he has to, there will be a hard pivot. And in fact, I still believe that there was a soft pivot. It's just that Powell didn't follow through in the Q&A. I think that pivot was in fact written in to the prepared remarks, but Powell went off script and went back to his newfound hawkishness But I think one of the reasons that Powell had the courage to be a hawk was that in response to the trial balloon the Fed floated and what I called the soft pivot, there was a big rally in the bond market. There was a big rally in the stock market. And that rally enabled Powell to be a lot tougher than he was in the depths of the collapse. But now that Powell has returned to his hawkish rhetoric, the market crash that the Fed interrupted is going to resume. And I think when faced with those circumstances again, especially if it's the bond market, not just the stock market, I think Powell is going to have to come back and clarify his remarks. And by clarify, I mean do a complete 180 and say the opposite of what he said, but without actually acknowledging the screw-up. There was also a very political but extremely relevant question asked by the reporter from Fox Business. He asked Powell how big the fiscal policy headwind was in the Fed's efforts to bring inflation down to 2%. Now, of course, Powell doesn't like answering those type of questions because they would be embarrassing for the Biden administration because, of course, Biden's policies of fiscal stimulus work at cross purposes with what the Fed is trying to do on inflation because you fight inflation with restrictive policy, not just restrictive monetary policy, but restrictive fiscal policy. But instead of getting restrictive fiscal policy, we got expansionary fiscal policy, compounding the work that the Fed would have to do on monetary policy because it would have to offset the fiscal stimulus in monetary policy. And so instead of having a two-pronged attack on inflation, there was a one-pronged attack because the Democrats in Congress and the Biden administration were actually making the Fed's job more difficult. Plus, it's not just that the other prong was missing in action. It was actually sticking it to the Fed by providing stimulative fiscal policy that counteracted It's contractionary monetary policy. So in other words, the Fed is stepping on the brakes 
while the government is stepping on the gas. Obviously, that's a problem. Now, I don't know, maybe Powell didn't understand this question, which is really scary. But here's the way Powell answered the question. He said, at first, you would have thought that it would have been a headwind. But then it wasn't because he said households had so much savings that they were able to keep on spending despite this headwind. That answer makes no sense because that's a headwind on spending and the economy, not a headwind on the inflation fight. Powell was saying, hey, we thought that fiscal spending would be a headwind, but it wasn't because households made up the difference by spending anyway. But the fiscal policy added to spending. It didn't subtract from spending. It gave households even more money to spend. His answer made no sense whatsoever. Powell implied that he was worried about fiscal policy because it was going to take spending away from consumers and that it turned out he didn't have to worry because consumers were able to make up for the lack of money coming from the government with their ample savings. Well, first of all, they didn't have ample savings. They depleted their meager savings, and now they're at record lows. But the government didn't take away any money. That's the whole point of the question. The government provided money. Powell was thinking that fiscal policy was a headwind because it removed purchasing power from the economy. No, it added purchasing power to the economy, and that's what made it a headwind for the inflation fight. Now, doesn't Powell understand that? Or did Powell just completely misinterpret the question and not understand what it meant? Because the headwind of a contractionary fiscal policy, which we did not have, would be that it would hurt the economy if you believe the economy is driven by spending, but it would have made the Fed's job easier to fight inflation. So it wouldn't have been a headwind in that respect. It's only a headwind because it makes it harder to fight inflation and it makes it harder by stimulating spending when the Fed is trying to sedate spending. But according to Powell, there wasn't a headwind because consumers increased their spending anyway. But if they did that, that was a headwind because what Powell needs to do to reduce inflation is to reduce spending. He needs to increase savings, neither of which have been accomplished. The savings rate is going down as consumers continue to spend. And that's why Powell has not observed any progress in inflation. When you're hiring for your business, there's usually a choice, hire fast or hire well. But what if you want to do both? Then you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend countless hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's full suite of hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match Assessment and Virtual Interviews. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job descriptions the moment they sponsor a job. What I like best about Indeed is how they simplify the hiring process allowing you to do all your hiring in one place. Not only does this make the job of hiring easier for you, but it saves you time and money. Indeed helps you see your applicants' abilities in a flash by adding any one of 135 graded assessments to your job post. You can select for the skills that matter most. And with Indeed's assessments, you can pick from over 100 skill tests and add them to your job post. Plus, Indeed assessments helps take the stress out of the interviewing process. Candidates get to show you their skills before the interview, allowing you to 
dive deeper into talking about what's really important to you. So join the over 3 million businesses worldwide already using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows that when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Visit Indeed.com slash Peter to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com slash Peter. Indeed.com slash Peter. Terms and conditions apply. But I think the most bearish part of the whole press conference was right at the end. We finished on a real low note if you were looking for some positive statements to come out of the Fed. Powell talked about how we still have a long way to go. We still have lots of ground to cover before we get interest rates up to restrictive territory, meaning that even though we're at 4%, rates are still not restrictive. And of course, they're not. That's been my point the entire time. You don't have restrictive interest rates until the interest rate is above the inflation rate. As long as you have an interest rate that's substantially below the inflation rate, you have an accommodative monetary policy. You are creating, not restraining inflation, and that's exactly what's going on. Consumers are not saving. In fact, they're depleting their savings. They continue to spend. They continue to borrow and spend. And so does the government. The deficits are getting bigger. They're not getting smaller. Sure, Biden takes credit for an initial decline in the deficits because we stopped all the COVID-related stimulus spending, but the deficits are now on an upward trajectory, and this is highly inflationary. But Powell admitted that the Fed has no sense that inflation is coming down. And he said that we are exactly where we were a year ago. Think about that. The Fed admitted to having made no progress in a year. Now, I've been saying that the whole time. I've been saying on this podcast that the Fed hasn't made any progress in the last year, that it's exactly where it was. And now you have Powell saying we're exactly where we were. I actually had expected Powell to claim progress, especially since we have the elections next week. But no, Powell actually told the truth about this. He said we haven't made any progress at all, that we still have a long ways to go. And he said he wants people to understand the Fed's commitment to bringing inflation down, and they're not going to make the mistake of withdrawing their strong monetary policy too soon. And in fact, the final question he got had to do with the soft landing and whether or not a soft landing is still possible. And Powell said that, yes, he thought it was still possible, but probably a lot less probable because he said the window to a soft landing had narrowed. And then the reporter who asked the question followed up and wanted to know, well, why did it narrow? And Powell again was honest in that he said that the reason that the window to a soft landing had narrowed is that the Fed has been disappointed that inflation has not come down the way he has hoped. Now, of course, inflation hasn't come down because we haven't had the policies to bring it down. And the main reason it hasn't come down is because the inflation that we're fighting was created a decade ago. When you talk about lags, that's the lag. We have been flooding the pipeline with inflation for more than a decade. And now we're just seeing the tip of this enormous iceberg. Nothing the Fed has done so far is sufficient to put this genie back in the bottle. But Powell admitted that the inflation picture has become more challenging 
over the course of the year. And as a result, policy needs to be even more restrictive. And Powell said that it's the more restrictive monetary policy that the Fed has to pursue because it has been surprised by the resilience of inflation. That's the reason that the window to a soft landing has narrowed. As expected, investors did not like what they heard from the Fed, and the markets tanked following the conclusion of the press conference. All the major indexes closed on the lows of the day. The Dow Jones closed down 505 points. That's about a 1.5% decline. But the Dow Jones held up better than any of the other indexes. The more broader S&P 500 dropped 2.5% on the day. Russell 2000 down 3.4%. And the biggest loser on the day was the NASDAQ down 3.6%. But within the NASDAQ, it was really the big tech stocks that got hammered the most. In fact, three of the FANG stocks hit new 52-week lows. Alphabet, formerly known as Google, dropped 3.9% on the day, so just under 4%. Amazon fell just over 4%. It was down 4.25%, but the biggest loser on the day was Meta, formerly known as Facebook. That stock dropped 5% on the day. And again, all these stocks closing on their lows The U.S. dollar also had a sharp reversal on the day. In fact, the dollar index was down about a point on its lows prior to the Q&A and the press conference. In fact, the dollar index traded down to 110 spot 72 and ended up closing at 112 spot 12, about a one and a half point rally in the dollar index. That is a huge intraday move. Gold stocks got clobbered even more than tech stocks. The GDX was down just under 6%, and the GDXJ was down about 6.5%. Now, the price of gold itself was off less than $20 on the day, so not a very big move in the price of gold, maybe a little over 1%, but an oversized move in these mining stocks. Now, gold erased close to a $20 rally, which was the initial reaction to the prepared statement, the same statement that caused the Dow Jones to initially rise by 400 points. So there was a 900-point sell-off in the Dow. So we had the same type of reversal in gold, which sparked an even bigger reversal in the mining stocks, although most of the mining stocks did not hit new 52-week lows. There were some, but the overall indexes, GDX, GDSJ, did not make new lows. And I still think there's a good chance that those indexes won't make new lows. And I still think there's a chance that gold stocks won't make new lows either. Because I think the carnage that we saw in the stock market today is going to continue, but it's also going to bleed over into the bond market. Because what we heard today from the Federal Reserve completely undoes the very basis for the huge bear market rally that we had in the stock market. So the entire rally needs to be reversed and it's going to get led lower by these big tech stocks. And ultimately, I think that is going to cause the Fed to have to re-invoke that soft pivot. Only it's going to have to be a lot less soft than it was the last time because I don't think the markets are going to come running if the Fed cries wolf the same way it did before. I think we're going to have to get something a lot more concrete from the Fed. Just leaking something to a Wall Street Journal reporter 
who's going to write an article suggesting that there's going to be some kind of change in rhetoric isn't going to be enough because the markets already bought into that and got the rug pulled out from under them. So I don't think they're going to make the same mistake twice. The markets are going to need real reassurance from the Fed that something has actually changed and that there really is light at the end of the rate hiking tunnel because so far the only light there is is an oncoming train. Also, because Powell did not at least throw a bone to the Democrats and try to acknowledge some significant progress in the fight against inflation, I think the Democrats are going to go down in flames in next week's election. Because between now and then, we could have significant more weakness in the stock market, which is not going to bode well for the Democrats, because all this is going to be blamed on the incumbents. The voters are going to want to throw the bums out, and the only bums they can throw out are the Democrats, because the Democrats control the White House and both houses of Congress. Now, there's no way to throw out Biden because he's still there for another two years, but they can throw out the Democratic majority in both the House and the Senate, in which case we will have divided government. But what we won't have is an effective way to rein in inflation. Because for all their tough talk about their opposition to the Biden spending, a Republican Congress is not going to cut spending either. They didn't do it when Trump was president. They sure as hell aren't going to do it when Biden is president. And Biden wouldn't even sign it. What the Republicans are going to do is potentially deliver tax cuts to accompany Biden's spending increases to throw more gasoline on this inflation fire. And that's going to be an even bigger headwind in the inflation fight than the headwind that Powell indicated that he didn't even understand based on the way he answered that question. Switching gears for a minute, but still staying on the topic of inflation, the Biden administration had to delete a tweet that it put out earlier today in which it claimed credit for the big increase in Social Security benefits. The tweet read that seniors are getting the biggest increase in Social Security checks in 10 years through President Biden's leadership. Now, the media was all over that. Even the left-wing media had to point out that Biden didn't actually spearhead any legislation that led to the increase in Social Security benefits, that it was an automatic increase that was tied to inflation. So they ended up removing the tweet. I guess there was a lot of pressure. Twitter itself added some kind of qualifier to explain why the Social Security payments were going up. But I actually liked the tweet and the way Republicans should have responded to that tweet instead of just condemning the president for claiming credit, they should have acknowledged the fact that the president was accepting responsibility for inflation. Because if Biden is going to say, hey, Social Security benefits are going up because of what I've done as president, well, they're going up because of inflation. So if you're going to claim credit for the big increase in Social Security, that means you have to also accept responsibility for the big increase in inflation. That tweet was the closest the Biden administration had ever come to accepting responsibility for all this inflation. And inflation is what this election is going to be based on. Again, it's not just the economy stupid, it's inflation stupid. And instead of throwing the Democrats a lifesaver on inflation, Powell just threw them an anchor. But it's not just rising consumer prices 
that are going to be bothering voters. It's going to be falling stock prices. And I believe the weakness in the stock market is going to continue beyond the election. And when we finally get the increase in unemployment, whether we see the beginning of that in the jobs data that's coming out at the end of this week or whether we have to wait for some future jobs report remains to be seen. But what I do know is eventually the economy is going to start hemorrhaging jobs because all of these companies that are losing money and that are seeing their interest expense skyrocket as their earnings tank, they're ultimately going to have to respond with layoff. That's the only way they're going to be able to reduce their expenditures is by reducing their payroll. And when we finally get the big spike in unemployment, we get the drop in housing prices, and we get the beginnings of a financial crisis, the Fed is going to cave because politically it has no alternative. And the Fed has had plenty of opportunities to do the right thing in the past, and so far it has never done it. It has always done what's politically expedient, not what's economically correct. Sure, for now, Powell can pretend that he's going to do the right thing, but when push comes to shove, the only reason that Powell is talking so tough right now is because the Fed has no stick. 